The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. In every great story and every great movie, uh, there's always this uh, big problem that has to be fixed or solved, and, and that is the conflict in storytelling, right? And, and so it captures our attention. So let me just point it right to you. Your life is a story unfolding. What's the big problem? What's the conflict that, that creates the tension throughout your life? I don't just mean what counselors and psychologists refer to as the presenting symptoms, meaning for all of us, if, if I were to pause for a moment, I say, What's wrong in your life? What's the big problem? What do you think of? No, seriously, take a moment. If your life is like a movie, a book that others are reading, what's the big problem? What's the conflict that kind of carries through all the pages and seems to tie uh, the narrative together? Probably the first thing you think of are the presenting symptoms. These are the issues that arise throughout your day. These are, the, these are the things that kind of pop up, but the reality is they're symptoms of a deeper problem. Think about it like this. It, maybe I'm the only one, but there are moments in my life when you know, there's tension in our home, probably caused by me. <laughs> uh, there's tension. And I, maybe I did something wrong and I haven't said I'm sorry yet, and so there's kind of this unresolved issue and so as a result, you know, I feel that tension, Laura feels that tension, and then we get irritable, right? Well, more me, right? And so I might come in and be like, man, you know, why is this, why is the living room a mess? Because the boy is left in a mess, right? And so I'm getting frustrated, or maybe, maybe something else goes wrong and we, I react to that, right? But the reality is, it's not the, the mess there or the dishes there or whatever else is going on. Maybe I stubbed my toe or stepped on a, a Lego, right? And I'm reacting and I'm being irritable, but that's the, that's the presenting symptom, right? That's the little thing that's wrong that's exposing this bigger problem, this deeper unresolved tension. We need to make things right. I need to say I'm sorry and resolve the issue. And so as a result, what's going on is this, right? You have this bigger problem that shows itself in these presenting symptoms. And so what we often do is this, right? We ignore it. We cover it up, but it constantly pops out in irritable ways, in frustrations, in anger, in wrong responses, because we've not dealt with this deeper, bigger problem. And, and so for you, what's the bigger problem that's causing the presenting symptoms, the conflict in your story? And how are you dealing with it? Are you ignoring it? like constantly sweeping the mess under the rug? Well, you know what happens, right? I mean, if you keep sweeping a mess under the rug, eventually the rug is gonna start to pile, you know, the mess is gonna pile up under the rug and it starts to leak out, right? And that's what I'm talking about, it's leaking out. And so there's this bigger problem in our life. And so how do we deal with it? When you think about your life like a story, a movie that's being played that's captivating, at some point, you got to address, you got to acknowledge the problem, the, the monster in the woods, the, the 
person hiding behind the door, right? Like you, you got to deal with the, the villain or the crisis, the big problem. And that's where I'm going to bring you into the bigger story, right? We're in, we're going to be walking through the book of Isaiah during this Christmas season. What's cool about the book of Isaiah in the Bible is that it's a snapshot of the whole Bible. The, the whole Bible is written over a span of about 1,500 years. It's made up of 66 different books set in two volumes. The Old Testament, which is all the books written before the, the time of Jesus, that's 39 books there. There's 27 books in the New Testament. That's the time of Jesus and afterward, the life of the church and so on. Interestingly, the book of Isaiah was written about 700 years before the life of Jesus. And it's, it's actually written it, later, the chapters and verses were added. But when they added the chapters and verses, it's really cool the way it was set. It's, it's written in 66 chapters, and it's kind of set in two volumes. The first 39 chapters are very dark. It's about judgment and gloom. And then the final 27 chapters offer a lot of hope and promise. It's a story. Now, remember, the Bible is written not as... Uh, it's not a science book. It's not primarily a history book. It's not a book of rules and laws. It's a story. And I want to present it to you that way. The story of God as written throughout history and revealed in the Bible. And we're going to look at it in the life of this guy named Isaiah, who's writing as a prophet, meaning he's saying to the people of God what God wants to say. And so it's set during a time around 700 BC, where the nation of Israel has been divided for a long period of time now into two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. Israel had already been conquered by the Assyrian Empire. Hey, by the way, stick with me. I'm just kind of setting the background so you can get pulled into the plot. It's going to turn quick here, all right? So the nation of Israel has been conquered. The nation of Judah exists, but it's in trouble. The nation of Israel was conquered around 722 BC by the Assyrians. Isaiah witnessed this. He's seen the rise and fall of different kings. In fact, that's right where his prophecy jumps in. Now, as we jump into this, here we go. Isaiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. That Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he goes, man, here's a guy with a long memory. He's got a lot of history. And throughout all of these different reigns, he's having um, a vision or a revelation from God about what God is saying to the people through this journey. People who are against God. Now, before I continue reading here, let me just kind of give you a point. You're, you're watching modern movies where the very first thing they do is they pull you in quickly by showing you some big crisis. And the big crisis or the big action sequence kind of reveals the major problem, the big problem. That's what Isaiah does. He quickly pulls you in and goes, here's the big problem right off the bat. So let's read verse two. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. So he's appealing to the universe saying, look at what's gone wrong. For the Lord has spoken. This is what God says. I reared children. I brought them up, but they rebelled against me. I was a good father. 
I took good care of my kids and they all turned their back on me and did the wrong thing. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manger. He goes, basic, you know, domesticated animals. They, they know where to live, they know where to eat, and, they, and they, they obey the master. But Israel, my people do not know. My people do not understand. They're, they're not even as clever and as smart as cows. They just wander aimlessly. Woe to this sinful nation. Now remember, he's speaking to a whole group of people here, a whole nation. Woe to this sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great. Another way of saying it would be, whose burden of shame is overwhelming. A brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on him. So right off the bat, he pulls you in and he goes, there's this really big problem. From the beginning, God loved his people. The great king created a beautiful world, a kingdom, where he wanted to live in perfect peace and harmony and unity with the people he loved and created. And he put the whole creation in order for them to enjoy with him. But they rejected it, right? That's the grand story. And he goes, and then... God chose a people to reveal himself through, but the people he chose, this family he chose, they rejected him too. They've turned their back on him and their guilt is enormous. It's like this, it's as as if you swept it under the rug and now the rug is mounded up. And he refers to them as a sinful nation. The word sinful really is this idea of rejecting God and doing what you want. Now remember, it's in the Bible. It's, it's a prophetic book because it's not just about the nation of Israel. It's a story about us. How every one of us, meaning as a people, we've all rejected God and done what we want. We're sinful, right? We, we ignore the ways of God. We do our own thing because we all have desires that go against God toward what feels best, and what feels best is not best, and it destroys us. And so the author, Isaiah, says their their guilt is is overwhelming. The burden of their shame is like a mounded rug that stuff has been swept under, but it's obvious. It's, It's destructive. That's us. This sin problem is the big problem of the story of history. Our shame is overwhelming. Our guilt is obvious and exposed. He he goes, a bunch of brood of evildoers, children uh, bent on corruption. They have turned their back on God. That's our problem. And every other issue is just a presenting symptom leaking from that big problem. It's, It's the dirt and dust coming out from underneath the rug. Everything else is revealing, exposing the big problem. So I wanted to just jump in here and say, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Lifehouse for this Christmas season. I thought we would just jump in with a good time together. I put on my Christmas sweater. And now as we jump into this story, we're immediately confronted with this big crisis. Man, we're all guilty. We're all full of shame. All all of our lives are a mess. (laughs) Welcome home, isn't that great? Um, No, hey, here's the good thing. Here's what I can tell you. That just like an action sequence opening a movie, the rest of the movie is going to resolve the problem, right? And there's heroes and villains. 
There's all kinds of action sequences and drama. Well, when he opens in chapter one, verses two through four with this big problem, guess what he's gonna do for the next 66 chapters? He's gonna show you how the problem is resolved and he's gonna pull you in. And so that's where we're gonna go from here. We're gonna go right to the next verse, verse five and six. He goes, why should you be beaten anymore? Meaning your guilt, your shame is beating you up. Why do you persist in rebellion? Why, why keep going the wrong way? Why keep being so miserable? Your whole head is injured. Can't, can't you see that when you're going the wrong way, you keep running into the wall and it's hurting you? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. It, it's, it's destroying you from the inside out. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores. Man, he's getting gross here. But his point is that this sin, this guilt and shame is destroying everything. It's a big problem. It's the major crisis. And so he's alluding back to the beginning, back to the story. When God first created everything and sin entered the world and destroys um, relationship between God and man. And he says, why, why do you keep living like this? Man, can I just pause in this story and say, that's where we come in. For you and I, why do we keep doing it this way? Why do we just live like hamsters on the, rat, on the wheel, doing the same wrong things over and over and frustrated? And it, it's, hurting the, it's hurting our heads. It's hurting our hearts and our souls. It's wrecking us from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head. It's hurting relationships. It's hurting so much of our life. And what do we do about it? Yes, now we're there. Now I want to pull you into a story. What are we going to do about this big problem? Well, the key here is, here's his point. You can't do it yourself. You can't rescue yourself or clean up your own mess. The mess is so big. The burden so heavy. You can't clean up the mesh, you can't, carry, you can't carry the burden, and you can't rescue yourself. This crisis, this action sequence that leads to disaster, you're, you can't just jump in and save the day. Let me be very clear. This isn't just a story to tell. This is our lives. What's the point? You and I will spend our lives trying to rescue ourselves and clean up our own mess. In fact, that effort to rescue ourselves from a deep sin problem and to clean up the mess we've made because of sin is called religion. And so right off the bat, in the first chapter, Isaiah addresses that. He talks, he goes, basically God's saying, enough with your religion, enough with trying to rescue yourself and save yourself and clean up your own mess. He goes like this, verse, I'm gonna hit a little bit of this over the next several verses, he's making this point. So let me just give you the highlights. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, meaning you're offering these sacrifices like payment to assuage your guilt. It doesn't mean anything. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. He goes, in essence, what God is saying is, no matter how hard you try to fix this, it's gonna stay broken. No matter how much you try to clean up the mess, it's worse than you think. No matter how much you try to rescue yourself, the crisis is vastly more serious than anything you can do to rescue yourself out of it, which means you're not the hero of your story. That's right. 
soon as the movie begins, soon as the book opens, we find ourselves in trouble. We find ourselves in a crisis. We find ourselves under the burden of this big problem, and we aren't the hero of the story. We're, the, we're kind of the combination of the victim and the villain. We both made the big mess, and we get destroyed by the mess. We're, how do I say this gently? We're the bodies on the ground. We're the, we're the ones that are destroyed by the damage, and we're the ones that cause the damage. That's where we find ourselves in the story. So as you read through the story of God written in the Bible, don't read yourself into the hero. Read yourself into the one who's in trouble, the one who's making the wrong decision, the one who's causing the mess. And that's what Isaiah is getting at. So what's the key? Well, the story's going to make a quick turn, and this is how it, this is how we get to Christmas. Here we go. The king, the king. God promised to rescue those he loves. He created everything. He loves his creation. He created mankind to love us and to be in relationship with us. We made a mess of it. We destroyed everything. We wrecked the king. And there is, there's an evil dragon, both called Satan and sin. Satan and evil, an intelligent evil that wreaks havoc in God's kingdom and sin it's an evil dragon living inside of every one of us, wreaking havoc in our own hearts and lives. It's the thing that causes destruction in every one of us. And it's hurt us from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. We can't rescue ourselves. There is a God who's the hero of the story. And he promised to rescue us because he loves us. So let me, let me say it like a, like a story would. So the king, he, he knew it would be harder than it looks to clean up this great mess, right? In your own life, it's gonna be harder than it looks. It would require the king to send the prince as a peasant to take on the price and the penalty for our punishment. But in 700 BC, what God did through Isaiah was begin to promise that the king would come. Hey, this rescue's coming. It's coming. And he explains how it's going to happen. That's how the story's going to unfold. As we go for the next week, couple weeks of this series, we're going to be looking at some glimpses in Isaiah of God's promises that, that are revealed through Christmas. Today, what I want you to get is this. He loves you, and he came to rescue you. That's right. That's, that's the story. That, that God, the prince, the prince of peace, became the peasant to take on our punishment. This sin that was overwhelming, this sin mess that was creeping out and wreaking havoc and wrecking everything, he stepped in to our lives to rescue us. The, the prophet writes it this way as he foreshadows this promised king. He says this. Let, let me just read verse 18. And, and as I read this, I, again, I, I have like this movie storytelling imagery in my mind here. He kind of leans in. The, the author Isaiah is leaning in. He goes, come. Come now. Let, let's settle this matter, says the Lord. You, you can see God 
on his throne, just leaning in saying, come on, let's settle this. Let's be reasonable. Though your sins are like scarlet. Think, Think crimson scarlet cloth. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool, the white wool. What is he getting at? He's going. And you're going to hear this as we get deeper into Isaiah. I want to make a deal with you. I want to take all your mess. I want to take all of your sin. I want to take all of your shame. And I want to make it right. That's the story. At least that's the climax of the story. God becoming one of us. Christmas to rescue us. Good Friday. Jesus didn't just come to live God among men. He came to die as Isaiah foretold. He had to die to pay the penalty for our sin, our shame, because it was so bad. It was so overwhelming. It was so dark and so destructive that it required someone's death, a perfect sacrifice. An innocent sacrifice. The perfect God-man willing to give his life as the payment for our sin, shame, and guilt. Our eternal judgment. So Jesus, Christmas, came from heaven to earth, became one of us to die on the cross, Good Friday. To rise from the dead, Easter. To triumph over our sin and give us victory. To triumph over death to give us the promise of forever life. Look, I want to invite you into the story. Remember everything we talk about. This whole story is not just a story about what happened to people a long time ago in 700 BC or what happened to the nation of Israel. It's about what's happening to us. And and God is always inviting you into the story, not to be the victim villain, but to experience hope. He's inviting you into his kingdom. He's inviting you to be part of his reign. And so God gives you an invitation. He goes, come, let's reason together. Come, let's talk about this. Can, Can I challenge you that God is inviting you in with a message? He's saying, would you, would you come to me? Can we discuss this? Can we be, can we be reasonable about this challenge. In fact, my invitation to you would be this. Come, let's settle this once and for all. Come, let's settle this once and for all. Can I I invite you to come and settle the matter of the big problem in your life once and for all? You don't have to you don't have to constantly come back to it in the show like some, some uh, series where every single episode you got to come back to the big problem over and over and over. No, this is like the arc of a story where you address it in the climactic moment. God in his wisdom and his love and his providence comes, deals with our sin problem once and for all. And so you and I, we come to God and we settle, settle the matter once and for all. How? By believing in him by faith. God, I believe you you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you're for me. I believe that you came to rescue me. I believe that I'm not the hero of the story, that you're the hero of the story, that you love me. And so he uses this wording. He goes, come, let's settle the matter. Let's be reasonable about this. 
And the idea is this, that we're not reasonable. Because in fact, you're acting unreasonable. So because we're acting unreasonable, he says, can we be reasonable? I, I don't know if you ever had conflict in your home or maybe our family is the only one. And sometimes, and I, I, I want to be gentle how I say this, but sometimes it gets a little bit unreasonable. Sometimes the way the, this, the argument goes, it gets a little, dare I say, irrational. And so somebody has to have the cooler head that prevails. And so in this situation, God is stepping in and saying, let's be reasonable. Now, what I love about this is the story is being written by Isaiah, whose name means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh, the name that God gives to his people through Moses, which the name Yahweh means the God who keeps covenant or the God who lives in committed relationship with his people. He is a God who is uh, never failing, always loving, no matter what we ever do or don't do for him. He loves us and is for us. That God, Yahweh is salvation. So Isaiah is writing and he says, come. Let's settle this. Let's be reasonable. Even though what you've done is totally unreasonable, even though what you deserve is judgment and destruction and ruin, even though what you did was pile up your sin, shame, and guilt to separate yourself from me, even though you've wreaked havoc in my kingdom, I love you. I'm for you. And I've come to rescue you. In fact, that's really what I want to challenge you to do is accept the beautiful exchange. When you read this little passage, he says, come now, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as wool. I mean, white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. He goes, let's, let's do this. Let's exchange it. Right? Like if you've ever got blood on your clothes, you can, you ever dumped grape juice on yourself? There's no getting it out. You got to exchange it. God says this to his people. He goes, you've made a big mess of your life. Your blood stain. In fact, that's really what this means here. When you start looking at the words, what he's saying is your life is blood stained. There's no getting it out. Nothing you're going to do is ever going to get out that stain. So, some of you, you know what I mean. Your heart's been stained. Shame has marred and messed with your soul. It's muddied your emotions and your thoughts. And the only hope is this beautiful exchange. Let me be clear. The exchange God wants to make with us is completely unreasonable. He, so in essence, it goes like this. Come, let's reason together. I want to offer you an unreasonable exchange. You're going to give me your mess, and I'm going to give you hope. You're going to give me your sin, and I'm going to give you forgiveness. You're going to give me your crimson, blood-stained rags, and I'm going to give you the beauty of a heart that is white, pure snow. I'm going to give you my best, and you're going to give me your worst. Let's, let's trade. The point is, it is, it's a beautiful exchange that is totally unfair and unreasonable. Let's reason together, and let's make a ridiculous deal. I'm going to give you everything. You can offer me nothing. I love you. 
Do you hear it? I hope, I hope when you hear it, your heart is warmed and overwhelmed by this story of a God who pursues you and loves you throughout history. He has been plotting and planning your rescue for thousands of years. He promised to send his son, the king, to rescue you and I from our mess. He's a heartbroken king who had to come and step in to give his life, to give us life, to offer us this beautiful exchange. And the only thing we can do is receive it. Some of you, the stains are so deep that no matter how hard you scrub, no matter what you've given, no matter how much you attend church, no matter how much you read the Bible, no matter how much you pray, you can't seem to scrub it out because you're trying religion. The only way to to get it White, pure white again, is an exchange. You have to receive the love of God, the hope of God, the promise of God, and then live that. This is why if you've been around LifeHouse, you've probably heard me say this before. I know our leaders, our staff have heard me say this many times, but I want to repeat myself again. Preach, learn to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Why do I say that? Because remember, this story is written to a people who already know God, who already believed in God. So this isn't a new, uh, it's not an introduction of God. Now, some of you, this is the first time or you've never believed in God before, but there's others of you. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You've, you've been at church and you've, you've had Jesus as part of your life, but there's blood Clothes. There's blood stains in your heart and life. And so what you learn to do is preach the good news of God's love to yourself every day. Here's the good news. You and I, we made ourselves filthy with sin. And there's nothing we could do to clean ourselves up. A promised king came to take on the price of our sin. Took on the penalty of our sin judgment and died in our place. And the only thing we can do is believe in him by faith and receive his new and forever life. That's the good news. So every day I remind myself, Patrick, you can't earn this or deserve it. You're not good enough and you're gonna mess this thing up and you're gonna get blood on yourself again. Believe in Jesus by faith that he forgives me of my sins and gives me new life. I believe him and I love him and I receive from him this great relationship. This beautiful exchange. The final verse I want to read for you today is this. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the lamb. The king says, if you're willing to receive this, if you're willing to obey me, I'll give you my best. I want to take care of you. You know, it's amazing when you read this story. The the word of God presents God to us. In essence, Isaiah chapter one is a present. It's presenting Jesus to us. But more than that, Jesus is present as we read it and as we talk about this story. Meaning, you're you're invited into this story, but as we talk about the story of God, God shows up. Right now, right where you're sitting, Jesus is present present with you. He's present as I read these words. Come, let's reason together. He, he's, let's settle this matter. God's spirit is there going, hey, you, can we settle this once and for all? As I'm reading, I can, I, um, 
Your sins are red like scarlet. I can make them white as, I can make them like wool. He's going, would you let me wash you? Would you let me cleanse you? Right? Jesus is present in this moment to cleanse and to wash. Some of you, there's things that you thought could never be made right. There's things that you thought God could never forgive, but I can assure you, he wants to make you whole and well. He wants to clean up the filthy mess. He wants to lift the burden of sin off your shoulders. He, he doesn't just, here's the thing, he doesn't just cover it up. He doesn't just hide it. He doesn't just put a patch over the stain. No, he removes the stain and the mess. He paid it in full and he wants to give you new and forever life. Jesus is present in this moment. He's presenting himself to you and he's saying, would you come? Would you receive? Would you be willing? And would you obey? It requires us to put this into action. It's an incredible story. It's the story of history. It's the story of God. So I want to invite you in right now. Would each of you, each of our campuses, thank you for joining us. Would you take a moment just close your eyes. Close your eyes for a moment. I want to invite you to participate in this story. First, there's some of you that you need to begin a new relationship with God. As I've been speaking, you're sensing God speaking to you. That he wants relationship with you. He wants to lavish his love on you and he wants to forgive you of sins. And if you're at a place where you're ready to begin a new relationship with Jesus, you're ready to say yes to begin a committed relationship with God, would you respond right now? I'm gonna encourage you, everybody's eyes are closed. Would you just raise your hand real high and say, yeah, Patrick, that's me. That's right where I'm at. And the reason I'm asking you to raise your hand is this. One of our greeters is gonna come and they're gonna put a card in your hand. At each of our physical campuses, they're gonna put a card in your hand. And we're gonna encourage you to fill that out and then bring it to the back. You can drop it in the giving boxes. What we would really want you to do is give it to one of our pastors so they can not only pray with you, but follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Thank you for raising your hand and saying, that's me. Now for each of us, what does God want to trade? What does he want you to turn into him so he can give you in return his love, his forgiveness in a beautiful exchange? What does God want to wash out of your life? What does he want to cleanse you from and free you from? Would you, would you allow me just take a moment and pray? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you invited us into a story of your great love. That even though we're the villain and the victim, we, and we made a mess of our life and we've covered it up and we've been sore from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, that you stepped in, the hero of our story, to not only to pay the penalty for our sin, but to rise from the dead to give us new and forever life. And God, we receive that. We believe it. We believe it again. Now, God, as we go into this Christmas season, we need to be reminded of your story, the greatest story ever told. We want to reflect on that and how we can receive that again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. 
So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.